And I just remember getting to her car door and seeing these headlights coming towards us. And I thought, someone's noticed that we're struggling. Someone come and help us. And then the next thing I knew, I was being run over by a tractor. True Trauma Tales, treating life-changing injuries at the Leeds Major Trauma Centre. I woke up four and a half weeks later. My whole pelvis was crushed. I'd suffered a lot of internal bleeding from my iliac artery in my pelvis. I had nerve damage on my left arm. I'd, I'd fractured the bottom of my back. The biggest thing for me was obviously the amputation, which was the removal of my right leg and my right side of my pelvis. I had my basically my vagina amputated. I was left with an exposed cervix, which they'd moved around to my back. There were some pretty major big things to come to terms with. Thank you for joining us and welcome to True Trauma Tales, the podcast where we tell the stories of six people who were treated at Leeds Major Trauma Centre following life-changing accidents. And in this episode, we meet Lucy, whose life changed in an instance at the age of 19. We also hear from Sam, who's the ward manager at Leeds Major Trauma Centre, and we talk about the huge difference that staff made to Lucy's recovery. I was studying to become a childcare practitioner, so I was working in a nursery. I was doing my apprenticeship. I was hoping afterwards to go do my teaching. I had a job in a pub and then my mum and dad ran a pub. So I was kind of juggling three jobs. And then outside of work, really, when I had the time, I kind of just went out with my friends on a Friday, a Saturday and a Sunday. <laughs> As you do. And you were what, not, 19, 19 at the time, was that right? Yeah, yeah yes. I was 19. And take us back to that that day and your accident what happened well I I was coming home from work actually my mum and dad had just bought a new second-hand car and the garage said it was good to go and my dad and um, he was like oh go pick Lucy up in the new car like she'll love it and I remember coming out of work being like oh mum's not here to pick me up I was looking around and and she just pulled up in this car that I completely just didn't recognise. And then on our way back, I mean, I live relatively in the middle of nowhere, so it's all really small country lanes. I think from what I remember, we, we overtook a tractor. He'd pulled in because there was a few cars behind him and because we accelerated, something went wrong in the car and... I just remember this horrible noise and I'd said to mum, pull over, we'll call the AA. And then this black smoke just started filling the car through the air vents and the bonnet was just blowing out this pitch black, like you couldn't see a hand in front of you. It was really, really black and horrible and I, I just grabbed my things from the footwell and I took them onto the verge and I just got out the car and when I turned around my mum wasn't getting out the car and I could just see her panicking inside the car and I don't know I think my instinct just took over and I I went round to help my mum 
and I just remember getting to her car door and um, seeing these headlights coming towards us and I thought someone's noticed that we were struggling someone can come and help us and then the next thing I knew I was being run over by a tractor um it turns out that I'd been kind of dragged along the road by this tractor's um trailer which was carrying something like six to ten ton of hay bales I just remember lying there and thinking oh my god don't move in my head I was like no one survives this the strange thing is I expected to be in absolute agony but I wasn't actually in any pain and I think that's what had convinced me that I was definitely dying because you know you see in the films and just before they're about to die it's always oh don't worry not feeling anything or it's oh I'm cold or you know and they were a lot of the feelings I was having and I I thought you know that must come from somewhere my first thought was that I need to talk to my mum she can't see you suffering like that if something is going to happen to you that is not the last memory that you want her to have of you I had realized right I'm gonna die okay this is it for me but there's no way I can die in front of my mum or I cannot have spoke to my dad remember just ringing him and being really like cool and casual about it and being like hi dad um I've been run over by a tractor but I'm okay and I love you I'm really sorry and then he told me a few months after that I finished the call with but don't worry I'm not afraid to die that must be the worst thing you can possibly hear at that moment in time what a strength of character you have to to have been in that moment and to to not at all be thinking about yourself but to be thinking about your parents I mean me and my mum have and we always have done and I mean this has only brought us closer together we have sort of this unbreakable bonds my mum has always really been my best friend I dread to think about it now what would have happened to her if I didn't make it and we have spoken about it at times because she was there she went through the trauma too and we've got to be really open and honest about it and then with my dad me and my dad were so similar that it caused us to have a lot of differences I don't think me and my dad were on good terms at all when I had the accident I was thinking about moving out and I didn't really know how to show his emotions about it and I just remember there being a bit of tension at the time and I just thought in that moment that whole thing goes I didn't want to go out and not have not have spoke to my dad and I think that's why I apologize more than anything I was a bit sorry for what I had put them through or was about to put them through in a way um but I think with my dad, it was about just trying to mend that little bit of a a struggle we were having at the time. I recently spoke to one of the paramedics who was with me there. And she was basically telling me that because my blood pressure was so low, I could only have gas and air. And that the whole way I just kept saying, oh, you need to tell my family that I love them and I'm sorry. So I was 
apparently lucid all the way to the LGI. And I remember getting into resource. I remember it feeling chaotic. There were a lot of people there. And there was a doctor there who had said to me, don't worry, we're going to put you to sleep in a couple of minutes. And when she said, like, put you to sleep, I think in my brain I was thinking, oh, I'd probably be going into surgery. I'll be awake however many hours after it. And then I woke up four and a half weeks later in ICU. Wow. And was that a surprise that it had been so long when you woke up? Oh, did you think? Yeah, that was... I remember waking up and there was so much stuff going through my mind. But you know how in the hospital, the clocks have the date underneath. And I remember one of the first days I saw a clock and I felt like I'd time traveled. I just couldn't understand how I got to that point. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff I remember about my coma. I felt like I was watching everyone else's life from the outside because I, I convinced myself that in those five weeks I've died. This is, you know, like this is, this is what life is now. Like you're just going to watch everyone else kind of get on with what they're going through. I couldn't do anything. I had no influence over anything, but there was just all these things happening. And then, yeah, and then I woke up and it just felt like I completely like time traveled throughout the whole thing. It just didn't feel real at all. Now, Sam, at the time, what was what was your role at the hospital? So at the time when Lucy first came to us, I was the ward manager of L10. Lucy came in in January, but we didn't meet until the March time when Lucy was deemed safe to step down to a ward environment. So for Lucy's first few weeks, she was in ICU and then she came to us. And I want to say off the top of my head, it was the 14th of March that she came down in the afternoon and she came down to us into side room one. And she was escorted down. And I think there was a lot of apprehension before she came to us because I used a very different environment compared to a ward. Um, and we got to know each other. And that's where sort of our relationship started there. What were the list of in- injuries? What were the extent? My whole pelvis was crushed. I'd suffered a lot of internal bleeding from my iliac artery in my pelvis. I had nerve damage on my left arm. I'd, I'd fractured the bottom of my back. I'd got nerve damage in the bottom half of my left leg caused from the spinal fractures. I had a colostomy. I had my bladder bypassed. The biggest thing for me was obviously the amputation, which was the removal of my right leg and my right side of my pelvis. I had my basically my vagina amputated. I lost a lot of that tissue. So I was left with an exposed cervix, which they'd moved around to my back. One of my consultants, they said the only thing that they can compare my injuries to was someone who'd been blown up in Afghanistan. There'd be, you know, there was some pretty major, you know, big things to come to terms with. And how do you wrap your head around what's happening? Because when you say there's been some pretty big things, you know, that's an understatement. And each individual thing sounds like psychologically it's a lot to to 
understand? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, for a while I was, I don't, looking back at it now, I say I was in denial. I mean, if, at first I just was like, oh no, this is just my personality. This is how I am. You know, I was laughing and I was joking about it. One of the first conversations I remember, like having a full conversation with my mum was, she was trying to make me feel better and things because I've always struggled with my weight and things like that. Obviously, it was not what she was thinking about at the time, but I think she was just trying to make conversation with me. She was like, well, you've lost some weight, Luce. And I, <laughs> and I, um, and I, I, said, <laughs> I said to her, oh, yeah, how much does a leg weigh? And I said it and I was like, oh, too soon because my mum's face was just like she was going to burst out into tears but you know I spent a lot of my time just on FaceTime to my family I just had to call everyone and I just had to apologize for what I'd put them through which is something that I still feel a lot of guilt for now but at the time no one would let me say it and I was like I know you don't want to hear it but I need to say it because I can't sleep I just felt this whole like weight of this I was so worried about what everyone else had been through in these four weeks where I was just sleeping. I didn't have to go through that hard part. It was my family waiting up in the middle of the night trying to find out if I'd made it through surgeries and it was COVID, so they couldn't necessarily see me. My mum and dad were called down a few times and I felt so terrible for putting them through that. And I think... For a while, my defense mechanism was just to laugh and to to joke about it. And I mean, I was in pain, but I wasn't in near as much pain as what was to come. Sam, as you know, Lucy's talking about making jokes and putting a brave face on it. Is it difficult in your role to to ascertain where a patient is and actually do they need more? psychological help or are they okay and is this just their, their person like it must be difficult to see through yeah it can be can, at times it can be difficult but we're all people too and we're all very mindful about how we come across and we talk about trying to find the, the perfect moment to ask questions or the perfect moment to do certain things and that perfect moment sometimes isn't always the clearest moment to find so you are sort of making sure that you're communicating with everyone on the team of how someone is today and actually, you know, how is their behaviour? What is, what's going on with them? Are we aware that they're doing this? You know, do we feel that we just need to speak to them? Do we need to introduce a conversation and, and have that time? And we are very co conscious that actually we just need to make sure that a patient does feel that they can be themselves in whatever form that is. And we will help and support them through that. And when they're ready for input if they need it from say our clinical psychologist or some liaison psychiatry or just a general chit chat with one of the nursing team just to talk about what's gone on and we can be that ear to listen to then we're always there for that but it, it can be a it can take time so how long lucy were you um an inpatient for i think i spent about 18 months in the hospital the majority of it was on L10. Is there anything for you that made the major trauma centre particularly special? I mean, the whole place will always 
have like a special place in my heart, like it always will. I have never met such amazing, caring, funny people. You know, I spent the worst days of my life in that hospital and I couldn't have asked for anything better. The way the staff were with me, the way the staff were with my mum, the relationships I formed. L10 were like my family. And when it came to leaving the hospital, I was really unsure about how I was going to be able to do it without them. They taught me so much about myself and nothing was too much. If I needed something talked through to me, hundreds of times they'd come in and they'd have the same conversation with me. If I was scared about anything, Sam was with me when I had a surgical procedure and I was just in that much pain that I just couldn't and Sam sat with me for hours waiting till I was basically put to sleep I mean it was one of my worst days and days like that were the days that really would have broke me I think Sam did me a diary of everything that happened to me on every day so I'd know what I went through because I'd start to think back on things and I just couldn't remember everything had become like a fog. And so Sam would come into my room like once a week with this diary and she'd been going through my notes, which I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of. And she would basically just tell me, okay, so this week you had this done or we achieved this and this changed and we dropped this medication. And that for me, that was actually one thing that really really did help me and it was something that Sam really didn't have to do Sam is a very busy woman and I don't even know where she found the time to to create that diary for me she'd do it in her colored gel pens and it was all <laughs> you know it was all like nicely done and I found that so helpful because it is really nice to look back on every major high major low it's nice to see sometimes where my journey turned around made it easier for me to be compassionate to myself in a way everyone just made the biggest difference if it was like will coming in to empty my bins he'd stay and he'd have a conversation with me if it was a healthcare who say come to wash me or put me in the shower and they didn't need to but they'd stay and they'd blow dry my hair for me they'd make me feel just that little bit more human I was very much stripped of my identity I didn't know who I was I didn't know what I wanted in my life I didn't know if I'd ever get back to being the person I was before my accident but I was guided back there I was I was made to realize and it was really helpful to be made to realize that my life wasn't over and that there was so much more out there for me and sometimes having those hourly conversations in the middle of the night were what was actually getting me through the worst of it and I I could never I could never repay the staff at the major trauma center you know I could never repay any of you in any way for what you know you've given back to me what does it feel like hearing that Sam 
I don't want to get emotional, but emotional. It's not a job, is it? No. no. Never has been and it never will be. Um, it's hard being a nurse at times, and I think it's hard working in healthcare. But like I said, when Lucy stood in front of us, that is the best payment you can ever get, you know, honestly, because the, Lucy's right, there were really dark days, there were really hard days, and I know the day she's talking about, and we laugh about it now, we've joked about it in the past, but it, it really was for Lucy and for myself a really traumatic day. It was a day that was really difficult for her. And and rightly so with everything she'd gone through and her pain at that point, she was experiencing such a high volume of pain that you can't comprehend. And Lucy, to me on that day, looked so scared. She really was having such a hard day and that's what we're here for. And I would never change any of it for that. I, mean, I wish I could take all that pain away, but um, it's lovely to hear and it's lovely because Lucy became part of our ward. Everybody, you know, everybody on the ward loved, loved Lucy. They love looking after her. We had good days, we had bad days, but that's life, isn't it? We all used to joke, we all know what the latest fashion will be because we just need to look into Lucy's side room and see what the latest fashion trend was. But <laughs> to watch how Lucy went from strength to strength was... Um, it was a real privilege because actually there were days where we weren't sure what the next steps would be and where it would go and to see her, how she is now and listen to what she's doing and what she continues to do and how she continues to strive to be the best version of her that is exactly why we do what we do and and I feel confident to say that everybody that's involved in the major trauma center that's the reason that they all come to work every day and it's not a job no it, it never has been and if it was it's not the place to be we're so incredibly privileged to be part of that journey um so it's it is lovely to hear and I, like i said i'm not usually an emotional person but but it it's lovely to hear and it was a pleasure to look after her so lucy where where are you now um well i am waiting for some more surgery and hopefully fingers crossed that might be next week. I've still got a lot of things to move past from my initial injuries, but I'm in a really good place. I never, never, ever imagined that I'd be here today, never mind with my own little bungalow, cooking for myself, cooking for my friends, going out with my friends again. I go to rehab down in London. And I've accomplished some amazing things there. And I'm up on my leg. I, I'm walking. I'm learning all sorts of things about my body. I do some sort of physical activity every day. I did yoga two weeks ago. I'm doing things that I never even did in my life before. Never, never mind what I thought I'd be able to do now. And there's only possibility to go further. I am completely happy where I am and if nothing else is to come, I'm just so content where I am. But I think I'd be I'd be silly to close off all these opportunities because I didn't think I'd do this sort of stuff. So, you know, if I can get up and walk in, I mean, I'm walking with a frame right now and I'm learning to stand on crutches and if I can do that now without a prosthetic leg, um, you know, when it is time, when my skin is ready, when I am in a place where we could maybe start looking at things like that, 
I have managed my expectations. I do know that it might not be for me. I might be in a wheelchair for the majority of my life, but I'm okay with that. I I know that with a lot of prosthetic patients, they like to get you into your prosthetic as soon as they can, but because of how poorly I was and how my skin is and how how vulnerable everything was, that hasn't been possible with me. So I know I could put on a prosthetic leg and it could be the worst pain imaginable, but I won't close that door until I'm ready. Whereas when I first came on to Ward 10, I thought all those doors were just closed for me. I didn't even know if I was ever going to sit up properly. I was propped up on like 10 pillows and there was like eight people rolling me. So now, like Sam said, just being able to hop up in front of her or I just hop between my bed and my chair and I stand while I'm cooking. If I can't reach something in the cupboard, I just stand and grab it. All those things that I didn't necessarily value from my life before. I just think it's incredible what our bodies can do. And, you know, if my body had given up on me, I wouldn't have blamed it. If that back fracture had stopped me from sitting or standing or doing any of that ever again, then that would have been something that I had to deal with. But I never said no to a physio session. And it's not in any ways the same for everyone. But for me, I just couldn't imagine my life like that. Um, And I think it's just nice to be able to share my story now for people who were in the place that I was who genuinely thought that there was no way out of a situation and there was no hope for anything. I hope I can show people that just because something traumatic and horrible has happened to you, your life isn't over. I think the word that really stuck out for me there was um, the word content, because I think that's something that so many people strive for in life, to find contentment in whatever form that that may may be be for them and so to hear you say I'm absolutely content with where I'm at and let's see what the future brings is is extraordinary yeah I, I think I've looked at every day now I mean I wasn't looking at it like this because it really got hard I, I, about five months into my stay at the LGI it got really hard and it got very real and I didn't I didn't want to do it anymore but I look at I look at every day I've had now as a day that I've lived that I wasn't really supposed to and I have had almost three extra years with my family I got to see my sister get married may have done that from the hospital but I got to see it and my nieces started secondary school and my eldest niece is about to finish secondary school and I'm I'm watching all these big milestones and my friends have graduated from uni and I've got to see them all do this and I very very nearly didn't and 
I think I think that for me is enough. This could have been something that broke me, but it's also something that has made me the person I am today and I like the person I am today. Coming up on next week's episode. It was Easter holiday. Me and my husband and my son is two years old and our friends went to Mallorca for climbing trip. I've been climbing over 10 years. We have our guidebook, we start warming up and when I went in the top, somehow technical mistake and I didn't attach my harness. That's Akko, whose holiday turned into an absolute disaster when she fell 20 metres off the side of a cliff. You can find out more about her time at the Major Trauma Centre at Leeds Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust in our next episode, which is out on Tuesday at 8am. <laughs>